Well, I want to start this morning by talking about four controversial topics. And as I ask for us to think through these topics together, I'd like to ask you a few questions, which are rhetorical questions. Please don't reply your opinions out loud. But just think with me about these four subjects. The first has to do with a strip of land in the Middle East. Sometimes it is called Palestine, sometimes it's called the West Bank. And the question I want us to think about for a moment is, at this moment, who should rightfully be living there? Should those who are uh, Israelites, those who are Jews, be living in that land? Or should those who are Palestinians be occupying that piece of property? Second controversial question I'd like you to think about this morning is when we think about creation and what we believe about creation, should we believe that God created the world out of nothing in seven 24-hour days, roughly 10,000 years or so ago, or should we believe that God created the earth out of nothing but took much longer to accomplish that? Third controversial subject. This morning, we have up on the platform here an Advent wreath with five Advent candles. We had one of our small groups lead us in some scripture reading, and we sang some songs associated with the season of Advent. Many of us grew up in churches which did not celebrate Advent at all. Others have come from backgrounds in which the celebration of Advent to help us prepare for the Lord's coming was just a regular part of what we did. Which is the right way to approach the Christmas season? And fourth controversial subject, when we gather together on Sunday mornings for worship, there are some among us who are very expressive in their worship, whether during singing or preaching or prayers, whether that be standing or raising hands or whatever that might be. Others among us are more reserved in how worship is expressed. What's the proper way to do it? Now, I ask these four controversial questions because there is one theme that ties all four of them together, something that we want to think about and understand this morning, that we'll never be able to get through those four issues if we don't get properly. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4, it's page 828 in the Bibles that the church provides. I've wanted to use those four topics to introduce this one idea that we have to understand. We will come back to those four and try to think through them a little bit together using this truth that Ephesians 4 has to show us. While you're turning to page 828, let me say that we are moving into 
a new phase in our study of the book of Ephesians. The first phase has really been a review of basic Christian teachings. We've done what Paul has been doing in the first three chapters. Paul goes over the basics of the Christian faith. And we together have talked about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Satan, sin, salvation, the church, the scriptures, and the gospel. That's its own sort of mini-series in the book of Ephesians. We now are moving on to our next section in the book, which is not so much basic Christian doctrines as it is implications that Paul draws from those basic Christian doctrines. And we begin with a very important implication this morning. Listen as I read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul starts out Ephesians chapter 4 with a very important implication of the teachings that he has been giving. If you notice in chapter 4, it begins with, as a prisoner for the Lord, then. See the word then? What that means is, is that what Paul has to say in the section we just read is building off of what he just got done telling us in chapters 1 through 3. And what essentially he's saying in verses 4 to 6, he's reviewing those teachings. He says there's one body. We talked about that. He's referring to the body of Christ, the church. We taught through that. One spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit because Paul talked about the Holy Spirit. He says you were called to one hope when you were called. That's the gospel. We did that just a couple of weeks ago. One Lord. That refers to Jesus Christ. We went through Paul's teaching about the person of Jesus. One faith which means there is one way to respond to the gospel and experience God's grace and salvation from sin. We've talked about those things because Paul talked about them. One baptism, that refers to union with Christ, which we discussed. And then finally, one God and Father. And we began our series of basic Christian truths by looking at the subject of God himself. Paul's point is, is look, I just went through all of these teachings with you, and there's an important implication that you should be drawing from this. Namely, Paul asks, how many Holy Spirits were there that I taught you about? One. How many different gospel messages are there? There's just one gospel message. How many different ways are there to respond to that gospel message that are appropriate to God? Just one. 
Only by faith. There's nothing else you can do to respond. How many Lord Jesuses are there? One. How many gods are there? Just one. Paul says the implication of all I've been teaching you is that you must be unified. There must be unity. There's only one God. There's only one Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one Holy Spirit. And Paul now has moved beyond the actual teachings of the basic doctrines themselves to draw this important implication that we must be one. We must be united. Now to understand what Paul is saying about unity, I want to reenact an illustration that we did a few weeks ago. You may remember a few weeks ago, I asked 20 or 30 people just to be brave and come up out of the congregation up here onto the platform so that we could demonstrate what the body of Christ looks like. Do you remember doing that? I just need to reenact that because I want to use that illustration to help us think further about the idea of unity. So what I need is just another 20 or 30 people just to come on up here and we're going to redo this. And just like last time, uh, if you come up, you don't have to do anything except follow the instructions that I'll give you. So I just need a few volunteers. Come on up here and help me out and let's walk through this illustration. If I can have you over there, thank you. Everybody over here. Now, I did ask in the sort of reenacting of this illustration if I could have the same person play Jesus who did uh, before. And so uh, Carol Spencer agreed to do that. So Carol is representing Jesus. And I need all of you sort of over that direction. Okay, and I need Carol right here in the front. And if you remember, what we did last time is we illustrated our union with Christ by having every person lay their hand on Carol. So come on up. Carol, you're already here. Just lay your hand, and you're not going to all be able to get around her, so lay your hand on the person behind her. And I need you, if you can, to fan out back that way, okay? Great. So everybody remembers this illustration if you were here. This is what the church looks like. Everybody's up here because they responded to my one invitation, and with one faith that I wasn't going to embarrass them, they came up and are connected to one person, who represents Jesus. And as a result, we have a unity. We have a union here and a body. This is what Paul's talking about. One faith, one calling, one Lord, one body. Now, in just a minute, we'll have to work this. Let me see if I move this out of the way. I'm going to ask this group to just walk across the platform here in just a minute, okay? Now, the reason I'm doing this, look in verse number one. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Now, literally in Greek it says, I urge you to walk worthy of your calling. So I'm going to ask you, now you've got to stay connected. So keep your hands, and that's okay if it, it takes a little while. Just, and you've got to follow Carol. So just slowly walk across uh, the platform. Are you ready? All right, go ahead. This is dumb. I have no idea what we're doing. I have way more important things to do. Okay, stop. Sorry. All right. If you don't want to participate, that's all right. Just, just come out for a second. If you just go over there. All right, go ahead. 
I agree. Can't we hurry this up? Okay. All right. Stop. All right. That's all right. If you don't want to do this, that's all right. If you just go over there. Okay. All right. We'll just, we'll keep going. Oh, you just stepped on my foot. Can't you watch where you're going? That Sorry, hurt. I didn't even want to do this anyway. Okay. 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 It's not working. All right. That's fine. Thank you all for participating. I'm just going to, I'm going to send you back. That's fine. If I can keep the, the, the two, uh, the foot. Yes. Just, if you guys would just go over there. Thank you all very much for helping out. Carol, thank you especially. Okay. Not to be honest, everybody else up here was just sort of a random volunteer, but there were four plants <laughs> that I did ask uh, to do this ahead of time. And that's because I wanted to represent the four things that Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 4 that ruin unity. Now, these are, these are good people. I made them say what it is that they said. But let's go through what it is that their problem was that disrupted the unity so we can understand what Paul's talking about. Aaron, what was the thing I asked you uh, to do in this group? Uh, this is dumb. Um, I don't know what we're doing, and I have way more important things to do. Okay, so Aaron represents what Paul's saying in verse number two. If unity is going to happen, he says, be completely humble and gentle. The idea of those two words is don't be arrogant as well as don't be overly impressed with your own self-importance. That if we're going to be part of a body, that we're going to be asked to do things that we don't think is very smart or that we don't understand or that we don't like. And if you're arrogant about it, if you're overly impressed with how important you are and your opinions are, well, then there's no way for unity to occur. These same words are used in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, where Paul says, remind the people, be subject to rulers and authorities. There's times in which you're going to be out in front leading, and there's times in which you're going to be following. Therefore, when you're following, be obedient. Be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, to show true humility toward all men. So the first thing Paul says, if we're going to actually have unity, we've got to be humble and gentle. We can't be arrogant or overly impressed with our own individual self-worth. All right, Allison represents the second complaint. What was your issue, Allison? It was taking too long to move as a big group. Okay, taking too long. Notice Paul says, after he says, be completely and humble and gentle. The second thing is, be patient. Now, clearly, we all recognize it was going to take longer for this group to move across the platform than for any one individual to do so. Paul's saying, look, if you're going to be unified, it's going to require patience that as you walk in obedience to Christ as one body, it's going to go more slowly than any of us could go on our own. Paul says in order for unity to exist, we must be patient. Mary, what was the issue I gave you? Well, he stepped on my foot, okay. so I said, ow. So Mary said, ow, because uh, her foot was stepped on. That was all acting. Um, Notice at the end of verse 2, 
bearing with one another in love. And the phrase that Paul uses for bearing with means putting up with something harmful and annoying. That the truth be told is, in the middle of one body, as that body tries to move, feet are going to get stepped on. It means things are going to happen that hurt or that are annoying, and Mary had every right to be bothered by that. Paul says, look, the only way to keep unity is if we're willing to agree to bear with one another, to put up with the fact that on the journey there are things that we do to one another that aren't right, but in love we bear with one another. And Todd, you represented the fourth. What was your issue that I gave you? Yeah, I just didn't want to participate. Okay. So Todd didn't want to participate. That's the fourth thing that Paul gives us in verse number three. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul's saying it takes work to stay unified. Either your foot gets stepped on or you step on somebody else's foot. It's moving too slowly. You don't like the idea. Whatever it might be, Paul says, look, if you're not willing to work at unity, it simply won't happen. It's too easy to just fracture apart and to go in separate directions. Great. Thank you all for being willing to do this. You can go back uh, to your seats. Uh, Thank you. It was helpful uh, to have you illustrating this. This is what Paul's talking about when he talks about unity. Now, I've said all of this because now I want to come back to our four controversial topics that we began the service with and try to understand how Paul's teaching on unity is relevant to each one of those. So first, remember our four topics are the issue of land in Palestine, the promised land, The mechanics of creation, how long did it take for God to create the world in which we live? The issue of Advent and celebrating that. And then the fourth thing I gave you was expressiveness in worship. Having seen Paul's teaching on unity, let's now think about those four issues in light of what he says. Well, the first thing he says is that if we're going to be united... On these four issues, notice none of those issues were mentioned so far in the book of Ephesians. Paul hasn't talked about any of them yet. Now, he's talked about Jews and Gentiles, but he didn't see fit to bring up the issue of the promised land and who should be in it right now. He's talked about God as creator, but he's not talked about how long it took God to create the world. In the book of Ephesians, Paul does mention the importance of worship, but he doesn't talk about celebrating Advent or not celebrating Advent, nor does he talk about how expressive to be in worship or not expressive to be. The reason he doesn't is because while these things are important, they function as Pastor Dobson used to say at the conviction level or the preference level. They're not absolutes. How do I know they're not absolutes? Because Paul didn't cover them yet. You see, he's going through a review of basic Christian teaching, and he reviews important things. But none of these four issues show up in the first part of the book of Ephesians. That's because they're not absolute truth. 
And Paul says, we need to remain unified. On these other issues, like the gospel, like the Trinity, now those are absolutes. You can't have unity if you don't have agreement on who Jesus is. But there are so many other issues that we deal with as Christians, like the issue related to the promised land, or creation, or advent, or expressiveness in worship, or hundreds more. And Paul says, in these areas, we must be unified. How do we do that? Well, he says, first of all, we have to be completely humble and gentle. See, when you think about the issue of the West Bank, that's a complex issue. On one hand, it's very clear to me from Scripture that God has promised a chunk of land to ethnic Israel. That's very clear to me. It's also clear to me, on the other hand, that the Jews were kicked out of the land by God 2,000 years ago because they rejected the Messiah. So now we have these two truths. This is what uh, Paul's talking about in Romans 11, that ethnic Israel are loved by God because of the covenant and enemies of God at the same time because of the gospel. That makes the issue of the land today complex. It makes it hard. Same thing with trying to reconcile science and what the Bible has to say about creation. Trying to understand what God is attempting to do in Genesis 1 to 2. I'm not saying we shouldn't have convictions about these things. I'm not saying we shouldn't study, but at least we should recognize it's tough. It's complex to figure this out. It's hard to reconcile everything that we see and read together. Same thing when we think about the celebration of Advent. On one hand, there's great value in having traditions and in following things that other Christians have been doing. On the other hand, there's the danger of it becoming simply empty ritualism. It's a complex issue. Likewise, with expressiveness in worship, the Bible's very clear. Do not stifle the Spirit. God loves it when we are expressive and spontaneous in worship. On the other hand, the Spirit does things in order and doesn't be distracting other people. Balancing those two issues is complex. It's hard. doesn't mean we shouldn't think through it. doesn't mean we don't have to work through it. But Paul says, look, if you're arrogant enough to think there's only one side to all those issues, then there'll be no unity. We must be humble and gentle, not overly convinced with our own self-importance and our opinion and our way of th- viewing things, but recognizing that there are other Christians who are searching the Scriptures just as diligently as we are, who are trying to come to the right position on these things. And Paul says, be humble. Be gentle about it. Secondly, he says, we must be patient. People's views about the promised land and how that all works, views about creation and how long it took for God to create the world, dealing with issues like Advent and how best to raise children or help people to uh, experience and prepare for the coming of Christ, being expressive in worship, these things change over time. That the longer that you're a Christian, the more you think about these things, God slowly over time changes our views on things. And Paul says, look, 
Be patient with people. Not everybody's at the same place you are. And you're not where you will be five years from now. Let God work to allow people's hearts and minds to be changed. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. Not talking about a fundamental absolute of the faith, but thinking about how spiritual growth happens. He says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Even Paul, an apostle, says, look, you just have to leave it up to God sometimes. On some of these issues, you have to wait for God to change someone's views and to help them along. And Paul says, if we're not patient with one another, the person we're really not being patient with is God. And so we have to allow each other the time to work through these issues, to think about them, to wrestle with them, to allow God to impact our minds. Three, we have to bear with one another. Think here about expressiveness in worship. You know, when Andy or Dan or Mark or myself or whoever asks you to stand during worship when we're singing, one of the reasons we do that is because uh, it helps in the singing. It helps... uh, in, in, in how we're worshiping God. But you know one of the downsides to when we do that? Is that there are people in our congregation who are not physically able to stand while we're singing. The fact that we're asking you to stand when they're not able to, that obscures their ability to see the screens and to see the words and to be able to sing along and to participate. You know what, in some ways then, I and others are causing hindrance to them not being able to participate in worship. But you know what? They have borne with us in love. They've been wronged. We should have providing, we should be providing some way for them to be able to participate when they're not physically able to stand. So on that note, this morning, it has taken us a while, but we worked out an agreement under our copyright license to be able to make uh, copies, limited copies available of the lyrics that we are singing in the morning. And those will be available at the information desk uh, every Sunday morning. And you can come in and request those and have them. And if you're not physically able to stand during singing, you'll have the words right in front of you uh, so that you can participate with us. Now, I'm sorry it's taken us so long to do that. But thank you for bearing with us in love that even when you're wronged or harmed, the idea of in love, bearing with, that keeps the unity of the faith. And finally, Paul says in verse 3, perhaps most importantly, we have to work at unity. It takes a lot of work to go through Advent if you've never done it before. If you don't know, well, is the candle supposed to be lit? What am I supposed to be reading? What do I do at home? That takes work. It's not maybe what you're used to or what I'm used to. It takes work to try to hear what somebody else is saying who feels so passionately about what to do in the Middle East. It takes work to understand how creation works and how other people are viewing things and to get to know them. It takes work to recognize that here this morning we have a diversity of ways of expressing ourselves in worship. 
It's hard work to recognize there's great value in somebody who stands up and shouts out amen, that encourages our hearts, that praises God. But it also takes work to recognize that those who stay silently are also contributing to worship in powerful ways. And what Paul's saying is, look, if you're not willing to work at it, there won't be any unity. It's easier to just go separate directions. It's easier to just try to be one homogeneous unit that does everything exactly the same if you want to be a diverse entity that is still unified. It's going to take work. See, the phrase that stuck with me perhaps most of all from this passage as I was studying this week is what Paul says in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What that means is, is that you and I and us this morning, we are already at peace with one another. Not because we created the peace, but because the Spirit created the peace. And Paul says the only way out of being at peace is to decide to fight. Peace already exists. The only choice you and I have is do we want to break the peace? Do we want to destroy the peace that the Spirit has already and is already creating? Now, in issues like the gospel and the Trinity and the importance of faith, yes, there should be a fight about those things. They are at the absolute level. They matter. But these kinds of issues that we're talking about this morning and other issues, even though we may have strongly held convictions about them, should we fight with one another on these things? Paul says no. These are not the things to break peace over. These are not the things to engage in fighting over. You see, there's one body and one spirit. One gospel we were called by. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And all of this is done under the sovereignty of one God who is over all, through all, and in all. To him be the glory. Let's pray together. Lord, the issue of unity is a tough one. It's so much easier to just simply find our positions and stake out our claims and to think everybody else who disagrees with us must surely be wrong. Lord, it's easy to become impatient and to want to hurry up and do things our way. It's easy to become self-righteous and to think if someone has stepped on our foot or done something wrong that we have every right to break peace with them. It's easier, Lord, not to work at unity. But God, this is important to your heart. It is a declaration of who you are and it represents you to this world. And so I pray for Calvary Church. Lord, I thank you for the unity that you have created here, that it's not a theological concept only, but a reality. There are people here who have been bearing with one another, who have been patient, who are being humble, who are making every effort. Lord, we praise you for that. 
Help us to keep the unity of the faith. Lord, allow us to be united in our marriages, in our families, in our small groups, with our friends, that we might be a testimony to the world of one God who is over all. Lord, we praise you for what you're doing. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.